0: When I started Gato, I never really thought of it being my full-time activity. It's just something I started because I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to change the way things were being done. Also bringing out new products that I haven't seen in Winnipeg. So I started it like that and it really took off. It seems like a lot of people wanted it.
1: (laughs) Welcome to Here's How It's Done, brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Center of Manitoba, the go-to place for women looking to start or expand their businesses. I'm your host, Kate Friesen. This show is for you if you are dreaming about doing something different, it's definitely for you if you want to change the way things are getting done, and you are in the right place if you've taken the next step and launched your business. Here's How It's Done brings you first-hand stories from enterprising women in Manitoba. Stories to inspire you and fire you up to take your business ideas to the next level. Like Laura who did. Her business began as a side hustle driven by wanting to do something different. She's taken up some big challenges with Gato Bakery, like making pastries so tasty that the customer doesn't even know when they're eating vegan. And running a bakery with the smallest carbon footprint possible. No small feat. But I am here to peel back a few of the layers that landed Laura where she is, making her daily bread on her own terms with a lineup of hungry customers wanting more. And the equation to Laura's success has a lot to do with chemistry in more ways than one. But
0: it started when she was growing up. I wanted to be a doctor for like a long time. After a few years of wanting to do that, I was like, no, I think I want to be a pharmacist, and that stuck for the longest. I I just like chemistry and biology, and it all worked together, and pharmacy was kind of like where I think they both met. Laura
1: excelled in the sciences in the classroom, and at home, she was immersed in a
0: different kind of chemistry. Food and cooking is very important and a big part of our culture. My mom cooked, my aunt cooked, my dad cooked, and we always did it as like a, a family activity. So it was never like a one person job. So it's kind of like everyone always took part in it. And I just grew up always having like homemade meals pretty much every day. So I think it kind of carried on into what I'm doing and how I view food. That kitchen was a long way from Winnipeg. I grew up in Mauritius. Uh, it's a super tiny island uh, in the Indian Ocean, um, east of Madagascar. Uh, it's very isolated. There's nothing around for about five-hour plane. So there's mountains, there's beach. It's, it's fantastic. Did you work in a bakery on the island as well? I started working uh, in a little family-owned bakery when I was like 14. I started working there as like my summer job and then really liked the baking mostly. So I started helping in the kitchen here and there. And within a year or so, um, I got really interested and I started making the flour, like sugar paste flour. They were all made by hand there. It was so small that when we had like, a big cake order, we would have to close the bakery to make the cake. But also it's a cake order in Mauritius is like 40 cakes. It's (laughs) kind of like when they celebrate, it's usually a lot of people. So it's a lot of cakes. It was lots of fun, but also very tedious, making over 2,000 flowers by hand. (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of like how it started. Wow. And I just wanted to learn more and... I kind of progressed from just working there to learning more and more. Every summer I went back and until I left the island. So what landed you here
1: in Winnipeg from that beautiful
0: island with mountains and the ocean close by? I came here to pursue my biochemistry degree. Um, So I did a BSc with my major in biochem in 2015, I think. So, you
1: graduated, you had your sights on becoming a pharmacist, but something happened. You took a turn.
0: Yes, <laughs> never happened. <laughs> when I graduated, I started looking for a job. Like, I was going to apply to pharmacy after I saved up a little bit and was confident that I could pay off my studies and all of that. Then I got another job in another bakery. I I wasn't even hired to be a baker, I, I was just working in front of house and they needed help. I guess it's just like, just sheer luck, or it just was meant to be, I guess. Um, so I ended up in the kitchen there, they needed a baker, started baking, and I just stayed there instead of going to pharmacy school. After a few years, I was like, well, I think I just like this, I think I'm going to continue doing this, and I pursued it more as a career. Yeah.
1: Laura, the first time I met you was last summer. One of your many fans who came to buy your bread at the farmer's market in right in my neighborhood. So at that point, I remember chatting to you, you were baking bread in your apartment, right?
0: Yeah, I was baking bread at home for the farmer's market because I was still working full-time as a senior baker. <laughs> so it's like I pretty much bake every day. So... Yeah, I I was in the farmer's market baking what I could from home and with my partner that helped me a lot. And we would come and set up for the farmer's market after working. (laughs) Laura was
1: working full-time as a baker at French Way in Winnipeg and baking every night when she went home. But there was another bit of chemistry that changed her baking trajectory, and it was love. Laura's partner, the one who helped her out at every farmer's market, Well, most of his family were vegan. And this presented a new challenge for someone who never went to anyone's house empty-handed.
0: I always brought a cake everywhere I go. I would make dessert. But every time I would go there, it was like, I either didn't bring anything or I brought something that they couldn't eat. So I had to start finding other things to bring. And it kind of like started from that where I would find alternatives that I also liked and that everyone else would like, not just them. Yeah, I think it started like that to make stuff that I would want to eat. Vegan pastries is just a whole different world. <laughs> um, especially like if you have been working in bakeries, like a baking for a long time, it's very different. Like the the approach to it. The croissant recipe took over a year to develop, and the sourdough croissant was something. That was a challenge for me and that I really wanted to crack. Did your background in biochemistry come in handy for this at all? Uh, It comes in handy a lot for the non-vegan item, actually, because of melting point and and all of that. The vegan item, it was a little harder because you have to know the product in big detail. So it it did help eventually because now we know how the stuff would react. The product we use, we'll see how it will react and how when we make a recipe to predict a result. Like biochem always help in baking.
1: It was a side hustle then. Yeah. While you were working full-time, what was the turning point for you that made you jump and make this your full-time business?
0: When I started Gato, I never really thought of it being my full-time activity. It's just something I started because I wanted to do something different and I wanted to change the way things were being done. And also bringing out new products that I haven't seen in Winnipeg, so I started it like that, and it really took off. It seems like a lot of people wanted it, and I was like, "Oh well," I just tried to make more. And then when we did the farmers market, it was like clear that I, like, I had maxed out how much I could make at home, and I was like, "Well, I really like doing that. What are my options?" So yeah, so it kind of started from there, and. We started looking at locations and it just happened. (laughs) Okay, it doesn't just happen.
1: At this point, Laura had invested a lot of time developing new products. She had done market research, literally, at local markets. And she had built up a significant Instagram presence that was driving sales and leading to brand recognition. Now, the next big step was setting up shop.
0: And what was the biggest hurdle? I would say we're mostly writing the plan because this is definitely something I haven't done before. It was hard for me because it was things I knew like in my head how it would work. But because I was asking for financing, I needed to have it down and that part was hard. But other than that, it's like I kind of knew already what I wanted and it was very clear what I wanted and what I needed. And I already knew like the equipment because I did uh, I I was already exposed with that word because my uncle also worked in equipment, so it's kind of like equipment wasn't a problem. Setting up the location wasn't a problem. It was more getting all the paperwork, <laughs> and that's that was hard for me because I'm a baker. I'm not, I'm not a paperwork person.
1: <laughs> yeah. So who did you reach out to for support for something like a business plan? I'm asking these questions because the The people who listen to this podcast, a lot of them are thinking, wow, I want to start my own business. So for people to hear that, hey, it's possible, even if you've never written a business plan before, to to pull this off, it's really great to hear exactly where your challenges were and who you went to for
0: support. Definitely the business advisor I had, she was really supportive and she really believed in the project. So that helped a lot. I did do most of the work. It's a lot of research. A lot of time it's like looking for answers that you don't really think there's answers for. So you have to look really hard. Uh, It did take me a long time because I did most of it by myself. But it's also like stuff that I had from being in the science world. I already knew how to do research and analysis and all of these things. It's just from studying that but yeah, I didn't know a business term or anything. And for that, my older sister did help me a lot because she has a master's in business. I did go to her a lot for the terms and what things meant. And she she helped a lot with that. She's back home. So she's still in Mauritius. We actually FaceTime every day. It's Since I moved here, it's always been a thing. I'm very close to my family. Even though we're miles like miles away, we still talk pretty much every day.
1: Has your family been really excited by your new
0: endeavor then? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have. Um, they helped a lot, even though they're not here. Um, mostly I'm like my sisters because they both have their own feel that they do, and it helped from their background and my background. It's like stuff that I didn't know I could go to them and ask. And my partner is my biggest support and my biggest fan, and he helped the most. <laughs> So you have a strong environmental
1: passion as well, right?
0: Yes. That was mostly why I opened rather than the product itself. That was the biggest reason to open my place. Just just the way things are done in kitchens sometimes is very wasteful. So I did wanted to change that.
1: Can you tell me a bit about how you've gone about sourcing then? Because part of an environmental footprint is trying to find products that are close to where you're making and baking.
0: Our uh, butter croissant are 100% local, so everything in it comes from Manitoba. Uh, but our vegan croissant, the flour, everything else is local, but the butter is from the U.S., but it is made from fully sustainable and organic products, so plant oils. So this is something we chose, and it, it is more pricey than you will get like a B-cell or some other brand that is also plant-based, but it's not fully organic and made from sustainable plant oil. So our butter is local, and I think everyone knows the butter, uh, Notre Dame's butter. We get the cheese from Loaf and Honey. They make this Trappist-style cheese. It's, it's delicious. And then... <laughs> And then we also work with Fireweed Co-op. They do wholesale and they can, they have a lot of farmers that comes to them. So it's like a co-op and I can just go there. So this way, it's like a bigger catalog. So I get way more product that I can buy. And it's all local and sustainable as well. Because they also have criteria to be able to be part of a co-op. And I also go straight to the farmers. Uh, coffee, the coffee is also made by Jacked Up Gel, which is locally roasted, and she also used organic and sustainable beans. We do have a lot of suppliers because um, each product we before we bring anything, we do look at it in details. Of course, there's some stuff that you cannot find locally, um, but then we make sure that it's either sustainable or it's as close as it can be. Like None of our stuff come from the East because um, I feel like it shouldn't cross the ocean. It just shouldn't. If we can't find it here, we just don't make it.
1: <laughs> so first of all, it's a challenge to run any food service. I mean, you're dealing with overhead, you have staff, you have supplies, you have equipment, and then you have the added local sourcing. How does that play into pricing? And how do you actually figure out what you can charge? Uh,
0: labor is actually where the price goes is uh, the highest the way we do it with our local product is yes of course it has a higher cost margin but we're very careful with how much everything is everything is like really detail priced and cost out so we know exactly how much is going in what and we don't have any waste that's like a big part of it as well Um, none of our product ever end up being thrown away (laughs) in That's also a problem sometimes. We make a small quantity of product that we know we can sell. So yes, sometimes we sell out, but at least we know we're not doing any waste. And this helps our margin. We try to predict the amount we need so that we're not wasting any. So yes, we have a very small menu. So then when
1: I come and something's out that I wanted to get, I can temper my disappointment with the fact that you've really thought about a lot of not making waste and and you're looking at your profit margin. I totally appreciate that. And I'm just going to have to come earlier.
0: <laughs> yeah. Lots of people get disappointed sometimes and I feel really bad, but like some people come in at 3:30, sometimes they're like, "Oh, you don't have anything." I'm like, "We close in 30 minutes. If we still had stuff, it would be bad."
1: <laughs> I want you to think about two things. Your biggest surprise The thing that you, that you weren't expecting that's really turned out well. And also um, a moment when you just felt like throwing in the towel and saying, forget it. (laughs) You can pick either one of those first. (laughs) They
0: both (laughs) happened. Yeah. um, Definitely the media attention we got right before opening. That was ridiculous. I was not expecting it. We got a CBC interview and I was like what it was crazy I don't even know how they heard about me <laughs> so it was like we got I think we actually got too much attention at the opening because we were not like ready to output that <laughs> so we were like expecting a slow start and then pick up but it was just no it was not like that it was crazy right at the opening but yeah, that was definitely very surprising, and I'm and I'm really happy about it, and I'm very thankful to like all the people that have been following us since the start. So it's definitely because of them. And then the moment when you went, like, I wish I wasn't doing this, or like, I just want to walk away. <laughs> yeah, that was at the same time because it was just so much to start, and because we didn't expect it to be that crazy. Um, it was just the two of us in the kitchen, um, and it's like we worked over like sixteen-hour days. Like we started at three in the morning, and we were done at like eight. And it was like that for the first two weeks, like nonstop. And it was just crazy. It was just not. There's lots of lots of tears, lots of breakdown, but we made it. <laughs> it's it's not like that anymore. So. <laughs> but yeah. How do you
1: measure your success? you got, you're juggling a lot of different values, things that you want to accomplish. Well, how do you measure success for your bakery?
0: Having the customers happy. It's, it's really hard. And that's, I still find that really hard because you can't please everyone. And it's like, if for me, if the person like the food, it's the most important thing. It means that we did something right. If when they come in, they have a good experience and they enjoy the food, that's that's a good day.
1: And what's your next dream with Gato? Is it too early to ask since you just opened three months ago?
0: No, we we want to keep growing, just finding a, a pace and growing and hiring more people. Eventually, I want to be able to be like a bigger pillar in the community and having more people employ and providing like better pay and all of that and... Especially like, have something that's really in the back of my mind is a composting program, community composting program that I really want to start. But that's something that will require quite a lot. But I'm hoping it will happen soon. <laughs> so you really see your business
1: as woven into the community?
0: Yes. Or think about it on a
1: community level?
0: Yes. And more like where this a concern for the environment is kind of like shared with more people so that they also feel the same way about the environment and feel like want to do these things that changes Cause every little steps count. Um, it might be some scientist says it's too late, but <laughs> let's, let's, let's try at least.
1: And Laura's advice for someone who wants to take their side hustle to the next level. Um,
0: if you're thinking of launching a new business right now, one tip I have for you would be just do it. Just go for it.
1: That's Laura Gerbhu, the extraordinary baker at the helm of Gatto Bakery and one of the hardest working business owners I've met. I mean, she's at work at 4.30 a.m. Every day the shop is open. If your mouth has been watering for this whole podcast, it's probably time to head over to 819 Sargent Street in Winnipeg's West End for some bread, a cronut, a croissant. Get there early if you can. And for a daily visual shot of baking goodness, follow Laura on Instagram. That's at G-A-T-O-W-P-G. You are listening to Here's How It's Done brought to you by the Women's Enterprise Centre of Manitoba. If you want to explore ways to take your side hustle to the next level, head over to WECM.ca to find out more about the center's business plan course, the financing options they offer, and a lot of other ways that the staff at the centre can help you succeed in business. You can also find more information about this podcast there, including links to all the local businesses that Gato Bakery works with, show notes, transcripts, and more. That's all for this edition of Here's How It's Done. You can subscribe to this podcast through your favorite podcast app. And check out our other episodes. If you were interested in more stories about food businesses, I recommend Dishing on Food and Family from Season 1. And we would be so grateful if you left us a review or recommended this podcast to a friend. Theme music for this show is by Peter McIsaac. Additional music by Charlotte Friesen. This episode was mastered by Madeline Roger and produced by me. Until next time, I'm Kate Friesen. Thanks so much for listening.